Hello and welcome back to Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza. We are nearing the end of the football season here at West Virginia and digging in at the beginning of basketball season. And you know it's basketball season when the head football coach is dunking on me at a press conference. <laughs> it's been a weird couple of days. Um... I guess I've taken some L's lately, as has the football team. Chris, I'm okay. I, I passed the concussion protocol, but it's uh, I'm wobbly. This is going to be a difficult press conference or podcast after the – see, I can't even talk straight. After the punch of the face I took in the press conference today. I'm yeah. not good. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I, I got a kick out of that. I saw that one coming from a mile away when you started asking your question, and then he – Kind of looked your direction and just got this big grin on his face. I knew something was coming. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but I knew he had something for you. So that was that's enjoyable. Weird. You know what's weird is, one, is this back and forth with coaches is not unusual. Um, for me, I don't know. I've had this with pretty much every coach I've covered. So maybe I'm cool or they like me or they feel like they can play along. I haven't had that experience of Brown yet. So if you're not familiar, here's what happened. They called a flea flicker on the 17-yard line against Texas Tech on Saturday. Uh, it did not work. It was intercepted. I'm legitimately curious about it because I can't recall ever seeing a flea flicker call there. We went over this in the podcast and sometime on the message boards online. I didn't make a whole lot in written word about it because what can you do? It's not a singular play that costs in the game. It just stood out to me. I asked about it in the press conference and... I don't know that there's been a whole lot of like singular things that he's been asked about. I can think of some play clock or timeout decisions, I guess, but that's stuff that is kind of in the manual, uh, very black and white. Um, play calls are kind of shades of gray, and I don't know. I didn't think about it when I asked, but it was just a curious call to me, and I wonder if like it was new and it was you know how it would be handled. Who knows? Um, it was not the last I heard of it over the weekend, and it was not the last I saw of a flea flicker over the weekend because I got home Saturday. 39 years of my life, I'd never seen a flea flicker in the in the red zone. I'm sure there had been one, but I hadn't seen one. I've covered and watched a lot of football, so it, it stood out and I asked about it. I got home, and I saw that Texas had not only called a flea flicker but scored on it on the 21-yard line, which technically is not the red zone, but still is pretty darn close. So, again, that wasn't the last I saw or heard of it. Um, and then what was strange was in the news conference to Tuesday, it's about 20 or so minutes in, and I haven't asked a question yet. Um, I typically ask a couple early, middle, late. I like to get in early, you know, feel the coach out, start throwing my jab, establish the distance, stuff like that. I hadn't asked one. And then you're right, man. As soon as I started asking the question, oh, I don't know, it was like, the safety's pulled up near the line of scrimmage when you're on the 17-yard line, you're going to call a flea flicker because he was ready to go. <laughs> and really, like, he kind of, like, bloodied my nose. I think it was all a good point. I'm glad he had a laugh about it instead of uh, – because I know I have. I'm, I'm guessing you have as well. have been known to receive um, unsightly texts or calls uh, after questioning certain decisions. So – I think him joking about it and having fun uh, is a welcome change. Although I guess the, the joke wasn't on me, so it's easy for me to say. 
Speak for yourself, Chris. <laughs> I swore this morning or Tuesday morning that I was done talking about it. Um, and then I even wrote something like, hey, I've said my piece and I've, people have said their piece. Fine, let's move on. Just when I think I'm out. Pull me back in. That said, it was in good taste. It was in good fun. It wasn't malicious. I think it's all, you know, enjoyable. And everybody can go in there and ask questions freely. And listen, I'm not better or above anybody. You can certainly make fun of me. And uh I don't know if we're allowed to say this, but, you know, quid pro quo. Um, it's okay to ask questions to be critical and have somebody uh, be critical of you. And certainly it was uh, funny. If I say something has never happened, then it happens later in that day. It can't be that <laughs> It can't be that rare of, a, uh, uh, of, an, of an occurrence. So, hey, joke's on me. I took that one. But I'll be back, I promise. <laughs> we'll also be back uh, Saturday. Um, I don't know if it's a big game or not because if it's the seventh loss of the season, you can't make a bowl game. But also this is a team that's lost five in a row. Um, but they still have to play it. They're still going to try to win if there's a chance to make a late-season rally or to make some changes and see if things go in a good direction. This is certainly maybe the last resort um, and one of the few remaining chances here, but I'm trying to scrape together a storyline or a theme or a mantra here, Chris, and can you help me out? What are we writing or talking about as we get closer to this game? I think for me it has to be changes that are being made and no i'm not directly going straight to the quarterback talk but just changes that are being made so that they can figure out <clears throat> what they have while there's still real football going on they need to decide the coaching staff being they you know who who is the future of this program who and what is the future of this program who is going to be contributor next year and beyond who can do that and, and if there are pieces that are not part of the future whether it be just next year or multiple years past that, then not to be, you know, cold, but it's time to look a different direction. It's time to get uh, snaps and and experience for those guys that are the future of this program. Kind of a weird thing to say when you consider how many young people are playing, though, isn't it? Yeah, I think I, we're already there, kind of forced to it uh, at this point. But I, I still feel, you know, they, they really just need to make some decisions. I think they are start. They've already begun that process. I, I'm not telling them to do something they're not doing. They're already doing it, um, as we've seen not only from some of the changes they've made, but also from how they've kind of put a hold on recruiting and readjusted who they need and what they need and when. So I, I believe this process has been ongoing for a couple weeks now, maybe even several weeks now. But I think it has to continue. And I think that's something that maybe is going to be more of a focus rather than, you know, who, the final score on the scoreboard. So we have some late season auditions for 2020 and perhaps beyond. I get that. Um, you mentioned recruiting. This is something that's kind of interesting to me is that it's been slow on the commitment um, tick lately, which – I guess was part of the plan and I've heard and I've talked to coaches and they kind of say, no, nah, we wanted to keep it here because, you know, it lets us assess and figure out what we have, who's going to be here, where we need some help. And I'm curious, like, where do you think, or what have you gathered as far as how the plan may have looked on August 30th and then how it looks on November 13th? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think, Certainly there's some changes, some more guys that are some more JUCOs. I think they're going to be taking more junior college players to get more immediate help next year than they originally planned. Um, this is me speculating just off, off of 
new offers that are going out, new guys they're talking to, guys that they had previously quote unquote offered that are really no longer in the mix. They're not even really talking to anymore. Um, the focus has really turned to kind of that at linebacker, defensive backs, junior college players, guys that can come in and contribute right away. Um, offensive line, yeah, they're looking at junior college guys there too, but I, that's always been the plan. I'm not sure much has changed on offensive line recruiting, but I do feel like they've kind of turned their attention to a few different guys in the secondary and along that defensive kind of front seven uh, for immediate help because they got a couple new offers out at defensive line, a couple – at linebacker, a couple that might fill that bandit spot, and a couple of cornerbacks. So that's definitely um, a little bit of a shift from where they were before. Interesting. Here's what I find to be striking about this situation is um, just on Tuesday, Matt Moore, who's the offensive line coach, he said that they were going to try to take four offensive linemen. Currently, they have Chris Mayo, Jacob Campbell, who's the junior college transfer, and Zach Frazier committed probably gamble is your only year one guy there um probably the only one that you really need i would think because he could play tackle but that's three they want to get a fourth uh i don't know they have enough guards i think i just think like when you look at the offensive line in the situation you're in you're thinking well they're going to have to load up on that but it's pretty much right now what the plan was before that is unusual to me but maybe not surprising um and then i would think that if they can go and get a fourth there or fifth even said that's possible Someone is probably at the junior college level saying, I can play there. I can do that, which is a good thing. Similar but a little bit different is the defensive line where if there were people who were on the fence or who weren't going to take the call or answer the DM from a West Virginia coach, that is probably with the three-three-five in mind. How much do you think Darius Stills and Reese Donahue and Reuben Jones, you know, high level recruits, development players, postgraduate transfers, you know, guys like that who are making plays and really changing the visage of this defensive line. How much do you think that helps in quote unquote late stage recruiting? I think it definitely helps because my argument over the years, and, and I've, I've this has always been my saying, is that I feel like with defensive linemen and offensive linemen. Uh, when you have skill position players, there is a, a part of, you know, the interest kids of putting up big stats, you know, getting to the NFL isn't the end game. Uh, maybe not for some of them, but putting up big stats, being in flashy offenses, you know, air raid offenses for wide receivers and quarterbacks or run first offenses for running backs. That kind of stuff really intrigues them. Um, yes. The NFL is, uh, is of interest to them but with the offensive and defensive line they're really going to start looking at who is putting players into the nfl who is putting players in a position to you know make a name for themselves at a position where guys typically don't make a name for themselves so, you know it's just not a um a, a well-recognized spot on the in the trenches there and if darius stills is all of a sudden over here getting you know, Big 12 defensive player of the weeks and leading the league in sacks are up there second, I believe, right now. And maybe there's some buzz either after this year or after next year about the NFL. All of a sudden, guys are like, hey, look at that. I can go there and get to the NFL. So I think that's why I, that was the problem I saw before. There weren't enough defensive linemen coming through West Virginia to it's, – it's an ugly cycle. You have to 
if you don't get the defensive lineman and you don't get them to the NFL, you're not going to get the next defensive lineman and, and so on and so forth. So you have to kind of get some momentum on that. And West Virginia might be getting that with the way some of these guys are playing lately. Yeah, and just peeking through their offer list earlier on, um, I think in the Big 12 you're seeing more of the bigger guys and not speed rushers because a lot of these offenses have kind of gone to that run ideal, which you've seen in a row for West Virginia opponents. So you're kind of seeing more guys like Reese Donahue than Taj Alston. I hope that makes sense. It's kind of guys who are going to hold up rather than rush a quarterback, and you get your pressure from, I don't know, bandits, for example. Um, and their offer list has a number of guys who are highly ranked that kind of fit that mold a little bit, run stopper, bigger guys, but also are from friendly states. This, this may heat up soon. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Yeah, I think so. Sean Martin from Bluefield. That's one to keep an eye on. He'll be in for an official visit uh, in a couple weeks. Um... Hakeem Mesador from from Florida. Uh, we'll see. You know, he officially visited back in the summer, and and that's always tough. I think all that big debate: of, Do you want to be the first team to get a visit or the last team? And if you get that first visit, you really want to try to hope that he makes a decision not long after that. Because if not, you're stuck in a situation like this, where the kids from Florida he officially visits West Virginia in the summer. And now here we are, what, five months later, and I don't want to say West Virginia is an afterthought now. Uh, I think they're still in it. I think they're still in their top, his top three, but he hasn't visited. It's kind of like a, a long, not a long lost memory, but really all he has to go by lately is what he's seen on television, which is not good, and the conversations he's having on the phone, which I'm presuming are assuming are good, but is that enough to overcome uh, let's say his official visit to UCLA, you know, a week ago while UCLA is not doing well, obviously, you know, sunny California is a nice place to go any time of year. Hmm. Just about that time too, that early signing period, you're going to see probably more urgency. And that's probably why you're right here is that how they finish um, obviously every position, but those positions of need and what type of stats people put up will help. Um, kind of went on a tangent there. I wasn't expecting that, but that was, <laughs> that was good. Let's talk about the actual game. Um, Neil Brown has a plan for quarterback your thoughts i've been doing the old you know poker mind trick here because uh, he says i have a plan but basically i'm not telling you what it is because i don't want kansas state to figure it out and my thought is uh, if it were I- i've thought about this way too much if it were Kendall, he'd say something like that but if it were daggy and he didn't want kansas state to know he'd just say 
Kendall's going to keep starting. Um, all, you know, whatever, you, you know, with any caveats you got in there. Um, and then you just start digging and surprise them. But then you throw out that I have a plan. You're, you're giving them a heads up that you're doing something different. If you're doing something different, then maybe you're not starting Kendall. Or are you trying to trick them into thinking you're not starting Kendall, but you're really coming back and starting Kendall? Am I overthinking this, Mike? What? No, I think it's obviously some gamesmanship. And if you don't know which one it is and you have to worry about which two you might see, the trouble, which we've discussed, is that I'm not sure they do anything different. Um, I think Daigie knows just enough that he can run Kendall's offense. I'm not sure there's a Daigie offense. So it might just be I'm going to start Kendall, but I'm going to keep an extremely short leash. It might be I'm going to let Daigie run the Kendall offense, but the plan might also be I'm going to run the Daigie offense, which could be something we haven't really seen yet. Um, I've thought about this too. They put Daigie in a spot where he's not leading a comeback to win that game. Why on earth would you run the Daigie plays? You wouldn't. Um, we were kind of prickly about that after the game, but what was different? What was the plan? Um, I'm not sure that you would run that plan out there when you're down 35, excuse me, 38 to 10. That doesn't make a lot of sense. You're tipping your hand and you wouldn't have to. I've kind of come around on that is that there have to be some things he's better at, or there might be some things with which he's more comfortable and you can go into that. I'm not showing Kansas state that while I'm getting beaten badly by Texas tech. So I do think that there can be a daggy plan and it goes. Um, I kind of lean in the direction of something is up and it's going to happen this week. And if it looks good enough, they'll go with it. Um, that sounds more like a plan as, in proactive sense, not something that's already happening. It's something that will soon happen. And what qualifies that for me is it's going to be something new and it may be the actual diggy plan. Don't know, but I think you have to kind of like do mental gymnastics here to try to figure it out because it was very big. It's a good point about the not going the diggy plan in a blowout meaningless last quarter. I I hadn't thought about that. Maybe that's why Neil Brown's dunking on us all the time. I see us. two steps ahead of it. Well, dunking on you. I'm trying to make you feel better. But <laughs> okay. it's two steps ahead. Um, they might get Sean Ryan back. They might get TJ Simmons. Sounds like probably a week away, but they're coming back. That'll be good. Um, it sounds like that they think they actually did a pretty good job run blocking. Um, they said they had some hats on hats and they had some things gapped up and fit the way they're supposed to, but they threw screens instead because those are option plays that Kendall has the read on. And they said that he didn't make any bad ones, but had he handed it off, it would have gone pretty well for inside zone or outside zone too. Uh, are you equally optimistic about the running game getting better? No. <laughs> Moving on. I just, you told me that. I, I guess I missed that, but you told me that, and I'm just – I don't know if I was watching something different. Um, I mean, aside from the – I'm looking at the stats, 18 for 51, 2.8. I mean, I guess I guess that's better than it was. I know, I know that's better than it's been, at least as far as straight stats go. But at no time did I ever feel like that defense could have run, and I felt there were several bad – um, decisions or non-decisions there as far as audibles go and you ran over one of them in that film or fiction I, did, I didn't remember the play until after you described it but the one where there was seven in the box with only five blockers and four receivers and four defensive backs split way out wide and they ran a draw 
for a six yard loss, of course, like there's no other, there was no other result that was going to happen from that. But uh, I am not as optimistic about the run game. No. Uh, Matt Morris said that they should have checked to a screen in that play, um, that that was an obvious situation where you say, that's not a good thing. Nine on five isn't going to work. So kick it out to a receiver and, it's probably a block and a, a juke, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it's better than a six-yard loss, which led to a question of how often do you do that? Chris, they don't really check. Um, we've seen that and wondered, but Matt Moore said, you know, maybe once a game. You know, it's a rare thing, and you kind of go with it. Um, very strange to me. I can't think of a lot of good offenses, and if you want to go beyond good to effective, explosive, prolific, whatever, that don't do check with me stuff, that don't see the defense do something and say, well, that's going to stop us. Let's run that play anyways. I think a lot of them say, well, that's going to stop us. Let's get into another play. And if you look around college football or even the NFL, it's it's kind of perpetual, and it, it doesn't happen here, and that was one situation too. Um, do you think that grows in the future as they get more comfortable with the quarterback? I would think that's the extension, but if they don't have a whole lot of confidence in the guy right now, it's going to wait. Uh, I was going to say I'd have to think so. Did they, Was there any reasoning why they were not? Is it because of you know uncertainty with the quarterback? Like, why would they not just, get out of it? Just kind of don't give the quarterback that liberty. I don't know if I'm at the quarterback that they have or the quarterback position in general. To be honest with you, I'm trying to think of – anyway, I crashed a bunch of film over the summer and YouTube clips, and that stuff is so cut up to have short sequences that I can't really say that they did a lot of check of me stuff. But just watching, you know, nine games here now, rarely if ever do you see them check out of a play where think about Will Greer last year or think about Skylar Howard. I mean – when those guys were in and situated mostly in their second year, they were constantly making changes. And maybe the offense isn't that ingrained yet. Whew. Well, I don't know if it's going to get any better this week against Kansas State and a pretty darn tough defense, uh, especially through the air. I was, I was actually looking up a few things for my five things piece. And... Can you tell me how many touchdown passes Kansas State has allowed this year in I'll, nine games? I will not steal your thunder, but it's an impressive number. Okay, so I, I'm glad you finally admitted to cheating beforehand this time. Yes, so, I know. Uh, it is five, and that is tied for the lead in the nation with Ohio State. And Ohio State's playing teams like Northwestern, Indiana, and Mike Loxley University. Mm-hmm. Um Kansas State has played Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma State. I, I mean, they're that's remarkable. I could not believe that it was only five touchdown passes in nine games against that kind of competition. Yeah, big game for um, I mean, Kendall or Dagey, whoever it is, big game for the pass protection. But I would say that it's a Sam James game because not only fourteen for two twenty three, but you know, the drops and everything. And now the talking point on Tuesday is should have had 18 catches and 300 plus yards. Um, A lot of defense of him and Brown really kind of put him at the front and said, I think that he got it now. I think that you're starting to see him handle things that maybe he wasn't able to handle. There's only one freshman in the country who has more catches, only two who have more yards. So as prolific as offenses are today and how how often they pass, you're not seeing a lot of people do what Sam James is being asked to do. Um, But, they play a lot of one-on-one outside. Um, and if you're not worried about West Virginia's run game, which why should you be? And the guy just had 14 catches for 223. You're probably going to pay him attention. Third down is really, really important in this game. Kansas State's excellent at that, too. I think number three in the country. Um, and they play man-to-man outside. They let their guys play and do it. Um, and if Sam James can't win those, or if he wins them and he drops the ball, 
it's going to be a hard day for whoever is um is quarterback. Let's um let's close here and dribble on over to basketball, which is happening. Um, I would say one o times three. They won their scrimmage, they won their exhibition, and they won their opener. Um, I think that they're probably the favorite to win on Friday because Pitt lost to something called Nickel State. Has no relation to Darius. Does have D'Angelo Hunter. They will be in town later on in the month to play West Virginia. But Friday, it's at Pitt. I think it's a measuring stick because if it's going to be a hostile place, and this is still a team with a lot of new players, and West Virginia got Pitt at home last year. So even the guys who played Pitt last year, by and large, are not completely aware of what they're going to walk into. And I think if you ask Bob Huggins, do these guys know what this is all about? He's going to tell you no. But um, I don't know. Here we are a couple of days away still, two days away. Feeling pretty good about how this looks in its infancy, or do you think that you should maybe know better because of last year and how things were supposed to be and how they ended up? I think I like this team better. I like I feel comfortable with where West Virginia is at because I believe there are more options for guys who can have a big game. I think at any given point, you know, Culver could go twenty twenty. Um Haley could do what he did last game, 16 and 7, uh, with a couple assists, a couple steals, very efficient with the ball. Matthews, I could see going for 20 and 20 and 8 and 3, something like that. Um, Taz Sherman off the bench, I could see coming in, dropping 20 out of the blue. Deshevway could double double, no problem. So I think there are more guys who can contribute on this year's team that I feel I feel comfortable in saying that. I don't see it falling apart as quickly or there being such a long stretch where West Virginia can't seem to get something going because I think there's more than just one or two guys on the team that can do it this year. I wonder how they're going to sprinkle that in. I think there's something to be said about having, you know, five guys in double figures, right? Yeah. Something to be said about having, you know, two starters and a guy on the bench who gets you 18, you know, something like that because you you can concentrate your effort on – those players or that that aspect of your matchup advantage. I think if you're trying to consciously or not get six or seven or eight people involved, it's difficult. I do think they're going to play like 10 or 11 guys. I don't know how they're going to do it. And I think some guys are going to get the short end sometimes, but I'm probably most interested to see is how they handle these minutes. Already Huggins has kind of used playing time as a teaching lesson. And we've seen Colbert and McCabe especially – sit sometimes uh, McNeil didn't really get into late in the first half and then late in the second half. And I'm not sure why, but um, they honestly want to get him going too. So I, I'm most curious to see how they use playing time, not only to reward people, to, but to also kind of teach them lessons there too. And I think playing on the road will be fascinating because they were home for the scrimmage. They were home for the exhibition. They were home for the opener. I mean, a little bit different at the Pete, won't it? I would think so. Uh, maybe not as uh, crazy as those games in Spain, but uh, <laughs> you, ne- you never know. Those crowds were pretty rowdy at the rundown YMCA's outside of Madrid. Um, let, me get your, let me get your thoughts on some newcomers here. I don't want to ask you about Sheboy yet because I think we all know about him, and I think a better representation of who he is will come later on. I think that's one guy we already knew a bunch about. We've kind of seen it already. But there's a couple newcomers that I think are, are curious here. Um what do you think right now of Sherman? I think he's a great guy to have as a 
kind of a sixth or seventh man, uh, somebody who can be your scorer off the bench, scorer with that second unit. Um, because I do think we didn't see it in the last game, his outside shot. I do. Uh, he has one, but I think his ability to kind of get to the rim and he makes smart decisions. He either draws the foul, gets the bucket or dishes it to an open man. So I think that makes him a, a little more valuable as that sixth or seventh guy off the bench. Um, especially alongside somebody like McBride, who obviously had a spectacular debut last week. I think that Sherman's kind of a guy like, in case of emergency, you, you break the glass and you put him in. If someone's hurt and they can't start for a couple of games, you could put him in. If you got some foul trouble, you can put him in. I feel like he's a guy that if you said, hey, we need 20 tonight, he could probably get there. I mean, he's going to try at least, but I just think with the way he can, I think he's going to be a good driver in the way that, like, Tariq Phillip was. The shot seems to be there. He, he has a really nice fadeaway. I think he can get his offense, so that'll be good, too. Uh, and then, yeah, he's a good complement for different people. He could, If he plays with McBride, I think that's going to be interesting because of the size and everything. Uh, and also because, like, I think he might be a more traditional point guard than, than McBride, and you can kind of split things up a little bit and keep things going, and you don't lose anything there, too. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm very intrigued by him because it seems like they kind of nailed him a little bit. Like what they said he was, it looks like what he is so far. So good. So when uh, similar to the next one, uh, McBride really seems polished and, and ready for this. Yeah. I did not see that coming out of high school. I think I started getting word of how he might be contributing right away just before they left for Spain. And then we obviously saw what he was capable of while we were over there. Um, but that is why, you know, somebody was asking me to predict my starting five. And I said, I don't, whatever it is, I, I can't remember what I put out there. But I said, more importantly to me is my closing five. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, Culver, Matthews, Haley, and I believe I had uh, Shibway, and then McBride as, as my point guard. And this is why. This game that he just had blocking shots, stealing passes, grabbing rebounds, dishing out assists. I mean, he filled the staff, uh, the stat sheet and ended up playing the second most minutes on the team, even though he was, I think, the third or second, third, or maybe even fourth person off the bench um, for West Virginia in that last week's game. I think Huggins trusts him, and, and I know it's kind of going to become a tired uh, comparison. Uh, it might already be. But just a, like a young Javon Carter, just somebody yeah. who's going to do exactly what he's told, and and he's going to do it on both sides of the court. Just the bounce he has, it, it does remind you a lot of it. I, I hate to just keep going with comparisons, but it, it's a young – let's be very clear, because the Javon Carter freshman year was not the same as Javon Carter senior year, but he looks a lot like the Javon Carter freshman year. Last question. One-word answer begins with M.C. Who is the starting point guard when Big 12 play begins? <laughs> uh, let me think Tricky. about this. Yeah, because, you know, like I said, I like my I like my start, my closing five thing. And I I don't know if Huggins is going to mess, mess with it that much. So I, I think maybe McCabe still. Um, I think McCabe's going to continue down this path of kind of, you know, he's, I don't, I'm not saying he's doing things wrong. But just the way that him and Huggins kind of ebb and flow with each other, I think that's going to go 
affect his playing time from game to game. Obviously, we saw nine minutes in the season opener. I wouldn't be shocked if he played 20 against Pitt or if he not played another nine. I think it's going to kind of all be on a whim from depending on how he plays and how he's listening and if he's doing what's best for the offense and what Huggins wants. So I think I could still see him starting at that point because Huggins will always know, hey, maybe I get the McCabe that's going to score 12 points and dish out 10 assists. And if I don't, then I'll just go to McBride and we'll go from there. It's not McBride. It's McBride. It's Napper. It's Sherman. They have guys who are Haley in a pinch. They can do it. So um, I also think that McCabe is probably able to take the point and the coaching and not get bent out of shape about it too. So he's, I think he understands what's going on and I don't think he's going to get too wrinkled. Were you, uh, were you surprised by that? How quickly that, that hook was in that game? I'm not sure what he did wrong, to be honest with you, but I think there's something there that we don't know about. I just don't know. It's not the knee. Um, it, perhaps it's practice, and perhaps like perhaps Huggins has made it clear, like if you do X, I will do Y, and and maybe X happened and Y did. Like I know that he missed a shot and then he committed a foul. Is that that grievous? I don't know. Um, but I mean, there's something going on there. I think I'm not sure if they're at odds with each other. And I think again, I think Huggins knows who he can pull that with and who he can't. And you might get a different reaction out of, oh, I don't know, Wes Harris, for example, right. than you would against McCabe. I think McCabe is able to take that and, and, and redirect it the right way. Okay. Yeah, because I in his post-game radio show, he 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 does this thing where he doesn't name names, and but most of the time you can figure out who he's talking about. Um, and so he made a couple comments about guards, uh, a guard, guards, not passing the ball inside, basically calling them selfish, telling them they needed to sacrifice a little bit and quote, got to do what you got to do to try to win. And I, and then a moment later talking about miles McBride talking about how he does what Huggins asked him to do. And that's why he played nine, 29 minutes. So, you know, you start connecting the dots. You're thinking, was he talking about McCabe not passing it in, but it's hard to know for sure. Again, without with Huggins refraining from saying exact names. Yep, he's been pretty bent out of shape about McCabe's dribbling for, I mean, in excess of a year now, I think. So if that was the case, I, I can't say I saw it, but I even know after the exhibition game, he was upset about entry passes to, I mean, anybody, guards or forwards that were open ahead a second, and said so you stand there and you dribble because that's what you think you should do. Um, and then again, McCabe kind of vanished. I shouldn't say vanished. He, he just didn't play a lot in that second half. And again, that might be the X there. Like if I, if you don't pass it when you see him open, you're coming out. And if that happened, I mean, sooner or later, you got to back up those i wouldn't even say threats i would say promises you have to back up those promises and then if you do it once you probably ideally you don't have to do it twice and i just i just feel like mccabe can take that he's not going to get put that shape do you want to talk do you want to talk oscar you said we we're going to wait on it you know i just think like i think what you've seen so far is really kind of what you expected and again that's the one player that we knew the most about from mcdonald and from highlight tapes and things like that you figured he was going to be the guy who was physically ready for anything and anybody. I don't think that's an issue at all. But we also thought about, you know, I think a pretty significant leap in competition that he would have issues and he would, you know, be slow to a spot or maybe he'd have a, a, a moment where his energy or his concentration dipped and that's when you pay with fouls. And I think that's happened so far. But I think when he's plugged in, he's as good as advertised. And I don't think he sulks either. He seems like he has a really good attitude. Um, I don't think he's 
slacked off or anything. And when he's in there, he plays hard. And I think he's going to have to figure out how to calibrate that to, well, one, to play, I don't know, 26 minutes, um, but also to make sure that he can actually play 26 minutes. So, you know, be careful, don't get into foul trouble. And then also, like, don't don't exhaust yourself when you're going to have to pace yourself. What do you think of, and you wrote about this on Tuesday for our VIP members, so I don't want to give too much of it away, but is it sustainable long-term Culver and Shibwe defensively on the court at the same time for extended periods of time? I think in the half court, and maybe if you extend it a little bit, but I'm not sure that they'll ever press with those two on the floor. Um, it just seems like it's too risky. One of them's going to get in foul trouble if you're not careful, and the perimeter defense is kind of worrisome right now. Early, I get that, but if you're asking those same three people to play with 90 feet between them and the basket instead of 20 feet between them and the basket, imagine the, the calamity you might witness there. So that's why I don't think you'll see that, which means you pack them in the half court. And I think they can because they can cover so much space and they're quick. But again, like right now you're seeing a lot of stuff where they're just spilling people at the rim and they're, they're driving addition, and you know that's not necessarily on those two. But um, defensively, there's some issues there. And even Huggins said that, I really wish that we were better around the rim than we are. And I think that extends to defense where you're giving up a lot of points in the paint and even second chance points or layups or things like that, that you would think, you know, a six, eight guy and a six, 10 guy would probably eliminate, especially on the offensive glass. Um, when teams are getting second chance points, that's concerning. Um, what's curious to me is that I know that they're playing different opponents right now. So they're not going to have, um, a traditional one, two, three, four, five, and a lot of teams just make the best lineup out of what they have. But they're going to see teams like that in the non-conference and even in conference play. You're not going to have traditional one, two, three, four, five. And if you look around the Big Twelve, there's some of those three slash fours and those stretch fours and those bouncy fours who can do some stuff. Um, and that is not what Culver and Shibway do best. So if you're a team that goes into play West Virginia. Are you going to say, let's match up against them and let's see if we can out-rebound them or if we can stop them on the block? Or are you going to say, let's make them uncomfortable? You know, let's make, you know, let's make the freshman come out and guard me 20 feet from the basket. And, you know, maybe my four doesn't even drive a whole lot. Maybe he passes, maybe he clears the room for anybody else. But maybe, you know, you kind of make Oscar uncomfortable and you make him do some stuff. Um, he's going to have to get better at that. Perhaps Culver's the four too. I'm not sure. But in those situations where it's Culver and Route or it's Culver and Sheway, or Sheway and Route. If you do that, I think that you're going to see teams counter and go smaller or put a guy out there who's a mismatch as far as, like, foot speed or offense with respect to the defense of Culver or Sheway. Well, Mike, I, I think I can officially say we are transitioning nicely into basketball and recruiting season here. Are, are you ready for all this? This this move? I am. I'm making the what sixty five mile drive that's actually like six hours because of the green tree <laughs> exit and the parking situation. It's just it's an awful trip, but it's a good time. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so we'll have plenty of basketball on the days that follow. I'll be there filing on Friday. Um, don't forget football, a lot going on, including the rejuvenated running game. I've already talked about the pressures on Sam James. You can find that online. Uh, also, met some more new players today. Talked to Kerry Martin for the first time and talked to Noah Guzman for the first time. So they're continuing the uh, sunshine lollipop parade there with all the good <laughs> news and good faces and everything. So I like it. It's a good change and everything. So plenty coming on my side. What's on your side? Uh, well, 
today, Wednesday, when this gets goes, when this goes up, I'll be putting most of my focus on basketball signing day. Um, I posted Tuesday evening uh, when the current basketball commits will be signing. A couple of them are today. One's not till Friday. We'll be watching a couple other uh, potential commitments. Uh, I really, I wouldn't say I'm above fifty percent on one of those happening. But uh, there are a couple guys to keep an eye on. There are others who have offers um, and some that have quote-unquote offers uh, that might be ready to make a decision. I would say odds are they probably won't add any more until the spring. But always something to keep an eye on. You never know with some of these guys. Uh, obviously, we've seen things change up. We've seen guys say they're not deciding until the spring and then just sign out of the blue in the fall. Uh, we saw Jalen Bridges uh, just completely switch entire recruiting classes a week after school started. So that was interesting too, but never know what to expect. So we'll be covering that tomorrow. I'll be getting interviews with the signees, getting the latest with them. Uh, I am trying to make my way over to Bluefield High School on Thursday afternoon, hopefully have an update from there with some top targets, including defensive lineman Sean Martin. Um, we'll have a podcast with our guys from Go Powercat, the Kansas State site, up on Friday. And like you said, a bunch of uh, basketball coverage from Friday night and into Saturday morning before the game. So busy, busy, busy next few days. Well, in the spirit of basketball season, we are at the 40-minute mark. It is time to go. That is all for this time. I will see you next time for YourSports.com. I am Mike Casaza, And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll catch you later.